Hey there, thanks for visiting the podcast of the Guelph Vineyard Church. If you haven't already, please subscribe to our podcast using whatever platform you listen on, or visit our website at guelphvineyard.com. Here's this week's message brought to you by our pastor, Chris McQueen. You were in charge of ruckus this morning. I want you right now for the next five seconds to do your best to make a ruckus with that thing. Go for it. (laughs) Okay, good, good. (laughs) You can just use that as a a method of response throughout the morning. That's fine. If you hear something you like, you can shake it. If if you're getting bored, you can shake it. Just not for more than five seconds at a time. It's funny. I actually have uh, this is this might this might tweak people the wrong way, but I actually in when I was the worship pastor at the Cambridge Vineyard, I actually had empowered people to be tambourine police, <laughs> equipped with sensitive language, because it can be distracting, right? There are these things in life that are distracting, and that's when I when I think of ruckus, that's often what comes to mind for me, right? I mean. It's actually, I mean, the, the word itself has to do with, yeah, there you go. The word itself has to do with noise, right? If somebody's making a ruckus. What do we typically want to do? If somebody's making a ruckus, shh, be quiet, settle down, get in line. These are the kinds of responses that we have to ruckus, right? Those of us with young children, you know, can tell stories. So, here is a little bit of the conundrum. As I have spent the bulk of my journey with God trying to read and understand the scriptures and even my own story, what I have discovered is that God is also a ruckus maker, that this is a thing, um, that he causes interruption, that there are moments where he is moving and I just I just really want him to settle down. I really want him to just shh about that thing. Right? Or to get in line, to get with the program. And uh, because this is what gives us comfort. Our programs give us comfort. Our rules give us give us comfort. And that's not a bad thing. Sometimes it's a very important thing. It's also firmly throughout the story of scripture. Um but this morning, how I want to, the arc I want to take is I want to talk about, as I've given away here, I want to talk about the God of Abraham. I want to talk about Abraham as a character. Abraham is part of the story. I also want to share a little bit of my own story, how God has uh, made some significant noise in my own life in different seasons and what that looked like. Um, where did this all come from? Just a bit of a recap so, <laughs> two and perfect. <laughs> I know, you're just following instructions. This is good. Um, yeah, okay, so this phrase, and some of you, this will be a repeat for some of you, some of you it won't be. This is what one of my favorite modern thinkers, I, I don't think he's particularly uh, a, a man of faith, but he's, he's got some interesting things to say. A guy named Seth Godin. Um, and 
And so what he often says at the end of a talk, at the end of a book, when he's communicating, he often finishes it up and he says to his audience, he says, go go make a ruckus. (laughs) It's an invitation. It's an open invitation. Go make a ruckus. And that phrase started to pop for me as I was considering what where we are to go as a community, what we are to be about. Um, and where we're going to go in a couple of weeks, it's going to take us a couple of weeks before we land there, but we are going to go step into this question of, of what kind of ruckus is God asking us to make, a holy ruckus? What kinds of ways is he inviting us to live out following Jesus in such a way that it inspires a question in those around us? Um, that's part of where we're going. But I felt really clearly like the Lord said, first I want you to explore me as a ruckus maker. God as a ruckus, as a ruckus maker. And so when Seth is, is saying this, go make a ruckus, in his speak, what it means is um, go make something better. Go get noticed. This is what I mean. When he says go make a ruckus, go get noticed. Go, go make a difference Go do something unexpected. It's an, active, it's an active thing. Go make a ruckus, right? Go get yourself in just a little bit of trouble. Just a little bit of trouble, right? Um, he also introduces this interesting idea. So if, you, if you're driving along the highway and you come across this picture, you're out in the country, are you thinking about the cows Right, is there anything here that makes you stop and go, wow, look at that? It, probably not, right? Now, I'll tell you, though, if you're out, on a, if you're out this afternoon and you're out for a drive, you're driving in the middle of the country, and you come across this, you can't quite see it well in here, but maybe on that one you can see it a little bit better. Anything strange? As, 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 the, as cows are, right? No. No, cows are not purple. So when you come across a purple cow, it kind of makes you do what? It makes you, like, I mean, it, has, it hasn't happened to me before, but I would probably get curious. I might pull over. Um, I, I might, you know, just make sure that I'm not hallucinating. Like, it would, be, it would be a disturbing moment seeing a purple cow. But it would make me stop and take notice. And I would, probably, I would probably remark, I would probably make a remark to somebody, right? Because it's what? It's remarkable. It's worth talking about. I want you to keep that in mind because what I'm convinced of is that we spend a good chunk of our life fairly blind, right? Um. No one look. I want you to keep looking this way. Can anyone tell me there is a, there is a sign, there's a, there's a posted sign at the back of the room. Can anyone tell me one word that's on it? Not exit, no. Oh, actually, there is, but that was, that was a lucky guess. Does anyone tell me what color it is? You guys are really good. <laughs> oh, okay. 
So how many of you had no idea what word was on there? How many of you had no idea what the color of it was? Right. Um, at least most of us in the room have walked past that sign dozens and dozens and dozens of times. But we are blind to it. Right? We don't see it. And what I'm convinced is that a whole lot of our life, we are actually fairly blind to what's happening around us. We have an ability to focus, a very narrow ability to focus, right? Right now, I'm kind of looking individuals of you in the eye. And when I do that, I'm not seeing anybody else. I'm blind to everyone else. That's how narrow my point of focus is in life, right? Well, I'm convinced that the Lord does create a ruckus so our attention is pulled in a direction so we can see what he is doing, right? Um, there's all kinds of caveats that I, that I don't want to get too bogged down in. I want to say that not everything that is chaotic in your life is God making a ruckus. Chaos can also be the work of the enemy. It can be the work of, of a society that is, there's all kinds of things. So it's not that everywhere where there's noise that that's where the Lord is. I am convinced that everywhere that there's noise, the Lord can be found in that place, right? But I'm not, I'm not here to blame God for all of the ruckus that's going on. But there are moments where the Lord comes and he creates a ruckus. Ruckus for me is expressed this way. Three words, disruption, demolition, and detour. Right? We've explored some of these through the last couple of weeks with teachings. Um, Brady, uh, he talked about the disruptive work of God. He talked about the woman who was bleeding and who was unclean in Jewish society and how, and how uh, Jesus came and disrupted this whole thing. There's this whole movement that's going on, people around him, and he says, stop, wait, who touched me? I, there's this strange encounter where things stop and there's an evaluation that takes place and there's disruption. And beautiful things get communicated about the gospel in that, in that space, right? Um, last week, my dad brought this fantastic word for those of you who are around. I had a lot of, it was I really enjoyed listening to the teaching that I missed um, on the podcast, um, talking about the, the demolition work of God, which is, of course, always pointed towards renovation, right? But this idea that sometimes you invite God in because, we are, because he's a master chef, and he says, I'd like to prepare a meal for you. And you say, yes. And then you eat it, and you go, that's really good. Tell you what, you can stay here as long as you want. If you want to cook, if you want to cook food like that, I'm in. In fact, mi casa es su casa. This is my home is your home. And then you show up the next day and your kitchen is torn apart. And you say, what's going on? And the Lord says, mi casa es su casa. You didn't ask for renovation, but you got one. So today I want to talk a little bit about the detour. And I think that detours are inherent every time we talk about calling and promises in relation to God. It almost always involves a detour. Now, why is that? We sang a song this morning about repentance, right? Which in, in the Greek language, the Greek language and the Hebrew language, has, it means a bit of a different thing. In the Greek language, it means a redirection. It means that you're moving in a direction and then you encounter God and he says, this way right? 
And so I would call that a, I would call that a detour. I would call that a redirection. I have goals, you have goals. Often when we encounter God, sometimes he, de- we, often it's funny, he gives us the desires of our hearts, but he often does it in a way that is a detour, feels very much like a detour. So I just want to focus in a little bit on this character. Has anyone heard this phrase before? Father Abraham. Okay, can you guys sing the song? <laughs> Is it because you don't know it or is it because you're unwilling? Father Abraham had man. See, I knew you knew it. (laughs) Right. So, this character, Father Abraham, he shows up right near the beginning of the story. Uh, He he shows up in earnest in in and around uh, chapter 12 of Genesis. Right? Timeline-wise, he comes along about 300 years or so after, after the narrative of, of Noah and all of that. Um, what's really interesting is that I can, you know, I can probably name different characters for you. Adam, uh, Noah, right? There's different characters who show up and who play a pretty significant role in the story. But this guy... This guy is where the story of the people of God start. This is where they trace it from. They don't say, when they, when they speak of, when, they, when, when the Hebrew people spoke of their character and their, and their nature and their history, they, they, they didn't say we're children of Adam. They said we're children of Abraham. Right? And so he, he's called the patriarch. Like he's basically, this is, this is where the, the, the Israelite people, the Hebrew people, the Jewish people trace their start to. He's their father, right? The interesting thing about Abraham is whatever else you may think, he, this guy created a significant ruckus in the whole arc of history. Three of the world's major religions all trace their source back to Abraham, right? We've got, we've got the Jewish people, which we've talked about. Islamic people, they trace their history back to Abraham as well. And so do we, Christians, Something happened in the life of Abraham that dramatically affected the trajectory in the life and the belief system of billions of people. It's really interesting to think about in, inside of one life. So I want to take a look at that for a second because that's a significant shift. That, that means something. So I want to read a portion from Genesis 12, just five verses, and then we're going to touch on little moments in his life. So Genesis 12 says this. The Lord said to Abram, at that time his name was Abram, leave your country, your people, and your father's household and go to the land that I will show you. I will make you into a great nation. I will bless you. I will make your name great and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you and whoever curses you, I will curse. And all the peoples on the earth will be blessed through you. So Abram left as the Lord had told him, right? It's a very simple passage of scripture to read, but it carries with it all kinds of significant things. This is, this is a very ancient world that Abram is living in. This is a world that is actually not very familiar with the idea of, of one God, right? He lived in a world where there were many gods, where there were many different ways of believing. Um, it, was, it was early times, and 
and so he actually steps out and there's something that happens in his life where he's, he's in some ways, maybe not the first to declare, but there's something that flows from his life that actually introduces to the whole world the idea of, of God. One God, Almighty God, right? Not just Almighty God, Almighty God who is bent on being a blessing, creating a blessing for the whole world. This is where the redemption story originates. It all starts with this one, with this one guy. So what are some of the significant points that take place here? Well, one is that he says, yeah, I'm going to do that. And so he goes and he leaves his home and he goes on this journey to a place that he hasn't been before. A, a place, Canaan, is, is the name of the land. It's a place that has a reputation um, for, for being a fairly brutal environment, right? There's a lot of danger that's associated with this story. We don't necessarily think about this because we live in a fairly safe world, right? We have our fears, but things are pretty safe. The likelihood that of me getting robbed from on my way back home is very low, right? But in Abraham's world, it was different. It was very chaotic. There was a lot of fighting. There was a lot of tribalism. There was a lot of battle. There was a lot of things that were uncertain. And and so he leaves into, he says yes, and he steps into the unknown is really what happens. So here are a couple of purple cows that show up in the middle of the story. One is Abram himself, right? By listening to God, he changes course. He changes his own direction and he follows, right? This is a significant, this is a significant purple cow. It might seem like a brown cow to us, but it actually, it's, it, it's weighty. How many, have, how many of you guys have uprooted your lives and moved into the unknown? There's, this is a good room, actually. It's, it's, it's a pretty high ratio. I think that's uncommon. So you guys know what I'm talking about. A couple of other things that are significant. Um, there's, a, there's a moment in the promise that God gives him, Abram and his wife, Sarah, uh, where he says, you're going to be the father of many nations. And Sarah is old and she's barren. And there's, there's a great unlikeliness that what God has said is going to take place the way they understand it. And so they take matters into their own hands and they come up with an alternative plan and they try to make it happen. I'm not going to get into the nitty gritty of that, but it's kind of, it's a bit of a funky story and, and Abraham ultimately has a kid with somebody else, Right? That's not a purple cow. That's a brown cow. That's what we tend to do. That's what I've tended to do, to do with the promises of God. If I get impatient with them or if they seem unlikely, as I do what I can to try to make it happen with the material that's in front of me. So Abraham is not so very different than the rest of us. In Genesis 17, there's this moment where God comes and changes his name from Abram to Abraham. And that's a shift in identity right? That's a whole thing where God comes and speaks a different, it's the same promise, but he speaks it on this very deep level, and Abraham listens differently, right? And in this moment, Sarah, who is by this point 90 years old, 9-0, she has a baby. She has a son. This is a purple cow, guys. This is a moment, right? 
And finally for this, there's a lot more that we could mine. I'm just, this is really kind of top level skipping across the surface of the story. But in Genesis 22, there's this, one of the, in my opinion, one of the craziest stories in the Bible. Abraham has had his son, Isaac, and the Lord says, I think it, you need to sacrifice him. And there's a whole narrative and it's a one-off in the, in the story of God because he actually, the, the strange thing is he, the rest of the scripture, he, he absolutely abhors this kind of thing, right? This is a thing that shows up in the scriptures where there's sacrifices that are really unholy. Let's say that for the nature of people in the room. But in this moment, God is speaking something because he rescues Isaac, but he's, he's, he's making a declaration in the life of Abraham that I want to explore with regards to promise. But these are, these are kind of, when I think of the life of Abraham, these are the big markers, right? He himself is a bit of an outlier. He makes this radical transformation and he follows, he follows the Lord, right? He tries to take matters into his own hands. He kind of succeeds, the Lord still steps in and intervenes, and then, there's a, and then there's crazy miracle stuff, right? And then there's this moment where the Lord says, now what's your relationship to the promise? And asks that question. So let's kind of explore that a little bit. So calling and promise is, is, is kind of, it's, this is the bullseye for us this morning. This is the, for me, it's the bullseye of the life of, of Abraham, right? This is what God does. God speaks into him, and he speaks a calling, and he speaks a promise. And so in the nature of the story, what, at what point does Abraham step into his calling? Any thoughts? Yeah. Yeah. When he says, I'll go, he steps into his calling. Right? So whose responsibility is Abraham's calling? Abraham's. Right? He, he could have said no. This is very important for us to understand. We can say no to God. Right now we can. So he has agency, he has choice, right? So you guys have choice in terms of how you respond to what you feel like God is calling you to. All of us do, right? So he steps into his calling by, by saying a word and by making that word mean something. He says yes and then he goes, Abraham does that. Abram, but same dude, okay? So the next question is, when does Abraham receive his promise? So he steps into his calling by saying yes and by making it happen, by going. When does he say, when does, when does he receive his promise? He receives his promise when he lets go of it. And this, and this, has, been the story of, this has been the story of my life. The, 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 and, and these things we hold in tension because I will sometimes take a promise and I will turn that into a calling or, I'll, I, or I will turn that into an inevitable destination or, or whatever. It, it becomes my focal point, right? Um, but I want to tell a quick story that and I'm not in any way conflating myself with Father Abraham here, but there are, there are echoes. There are echoes. So, 
This would have been something like 17 years ago. Um, Liv and I had just been married. We'd been married for maybe, well, actually, we'd, we'd been married for a year because we had the initial conversation on the way back from our first, uh, our first wedding anniversary. We were in Toronto. We were driving back, and, and we started talking. And, but the Lord had been stirring this thing, and the, and the stir had been to go to Winnipeg to move to Winnipeg. And what was strange is we hadn't talked about it to each other prior. And, um, and there had just been this draw, this draw. Uh, maybe the Lord's calling us to move to Winnipeg. And so, um, so we were driving home and I brought it up with, with Liv, you know, as we were pondering what our future looks like. And and there was a resonance. So we have this, this car ride. There's a resonance. Winnipeg. Oh, interesting. So this starts to take root and it starts to grow. And, um, and at that time, I had been, I'd been quite involved in helping to lead a, a church plant uh, in Cambridge. It's called The Refuge. It was a vineyard, sort of a church for people who wouldn't go to church. And Normally, and without getting into the specifics of that, uh, it had been through a difficult go. We had had some really high moments, but we were encountering some pretty difficult times. And um, and I really loved my pastor. I, I loved him like a father. And the idea of leaving was absolutely petrifying to me. It was absolutely petrifying. I thought I was going to disappoint him and... Um, but this thing just kept on growing in us. It was still an uncertainty. We weren't sure, but it was getting to the point where it was like, I need to have a conversation with Brad. So we kind of had this regular rhythm of gathering, and so he reached out and said, hey, Chris, we should, let's, let's, let's get together, let's connect. And I thought to myself, okay, this is it. I'm going to tell him, we're going to talk about this. So, uh, so we get together for coffee, and I didn't sleep the night before. I'm just full of anxiety, and not only disappointing people. And um, we sit down at the table at Williams in Kitchener, and Brad looks across the table, and he says, listen, Chris, before we get into this, I just, I'll, tell you, I'll tell you why I wanted to connect with you today, which was strange because we connected regularly. But he said, yeah, I felt like the Lord told me that it was time to tell you that like six months ago, the Lord told me that you would be leaving and going to Winnipeg. It's like, <laughs> what? Right? That's a ruckus. That's noise. That's like, hold on a second. Now, now we're not having a, 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 an exercise. This is, this, the Lord is speaking something. Um, so I went home and told that to Liv, and she said, well, let's not be Jonah. Right? Let's go. Right? So we start this process. And, and so, so here's what happened to me. So we had the sense of calling. We said yes. We, you know, we made plans. And we, and we went. I knew one couple. We, it, was a ter- it was really not good decision making. It was really based on, on faith. We had no work lined up. We'd never seen the apartment that we were moving into. The only reason we got it was because they didn't ask us about employment for some strange reason. Right? Like, this is scary stuff. There was, no, there was no real safety net. Right? Get to Winnipeg, move into this crazy place in the poorest postal code in the urban, 
in like urban postal code in the country, right? Um, oh, it was so intimidating. And I thought, I thought that the promise was, we said yes, this is going to be awesome. Yeah. We said yes to a year of destitution. Absolute poverty. Um, we, there, were, there were weeks where we actually didn't have enough money to buy a loaf of bread. So, you know, and there were helps. And, but it was just like, Lord, what in the world? This is, not, this is not the book I'm interested in writing. Right? And it was such a struggle for us. We had no idea. We, we were vulnerable as a couple in that space. You know, it was just a really tough time. And it felt like, Lord, I have no idea what we are doing here. What in the world are we doing here? And slowly, the story started to shift. So the first year, we just planned how we were going to get home. The second year, things got a little bit better. The second year, things got a little bit better. And we started to be able to realize that we could afford to get back home. (laughs) Right? Then we get to a point where we make the announcement... We make the announcement to our, to our friends in Winnipeg, we're going home. We tell, we tell our parents, we're coming home. We start to make plans. We realize that our plans lead us to different parts of the province. We're just not in agreement. We have no idea what life's supposed to look like in Ontario. So, we've, so we realize, oh, I guess if we don't know what life looks like uh, together in Ontario, we probably need to stay in, in Manitoba because we know what life looks like together in Manitoba, so we stay in Manitoba. Right? We end up falling in love with Manitoba. It's so good to us. The things that the Lord invited us into are not particular and not specific. I can't sit here and give you a list of this is what the Lord did and why he did it. But I can tell you that we were transformed as people. We stepped into a new sense of vocation, calling, skill sets, the unique set of credentials that shouldn't translate into being hired here, for example, but somehow did. Like, it's just the Lord did a really interesting work in that space. And the only way it happened was when we finally just threw up our hands and said, we don't even, I guess, need to know why you called us here. But here we are. Right? And so, I want to land here with this, tying this, my story and Abraham's story in together a little bit here. And I know we've gone over time, but I want to say this. Because I think this is really important for us being able to contextualize. Calling and promise, the calling of the Lord and the promises of the Lord, they always point in one direction. This is how we can discern. Uh, It sometimes takes us a very difficult, uh, long time to get this settled. But can anyone guess the direction that calling and promise always point to when it's the Lord's? Yeah, but even more specifically. Jesus. Very specifically, Jesus. Now, I know that that's not, like, that's, that's still a fairly general statement, but when Jesus speaks, speaks to Abraham and he, and he puts literally the seed of the entire people of God into that family, 
when he speaks of being a blessing, I will make you a blessing, I will make you a blessing to all people, he's speaking specifically of Jesus. That's what he's pointing to. That's the language. It goes directly to Jesus. And, and I, want to, I want to close by saying this in relation to my own story. I can't tell you what the specific point was of our journey to Winnipeg. I know the Lord called us to it, right? But I know that the result of it, the result of the saying yes, it, 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 it resulted in us looking and smelling and acting more like Jesus. Like we encountered something of the nature of God in that. And so we can sometimes, when we look at the promises of God, um, cling on to them in their specific things, right? And try to make them happen. And we've lost the point. Abraham missed the point with Hagar and Ishmael. Now, the Lord honored that story. That's a whole other thing. But, but Abraham lost the thread because that part of the story was not the Jesus story. God was compassionate on Hagar. He was compassionate to Ishmael. Right? But the promise was Jesus. Abraham could not see it. All he could do was say yes. And so I, the Lord has spoken some things to us, to you, to me. And, and the relationship that we have to those promises, it's, it's important because if we are constantly directing ourselves at those promises, right, we can, we can lose the plot for the sake of it. And so I want to invite you to not to let go of the promises of God, but to let go of your attachment to them, right? Because, they're, because the promises of God are realized by God. We, our responsibility is to step into our calling. It's God's responsibility to fulfill promise. And those two things are not always the same. They often have different processes. They feel connected and they are connected. But we get ourselves into a whole heap of trouble when we conflate those things, right? And so, Yeah, I'm just going to read what I wrote here to close out, and then we can pray, and we've gone over time. Abraham's story is not about Abraham. Chris's story is not about Chris. Marianne's story is not about Marianne. Fill in the blank. It's about Jesus. Both our calling and our promises both of those things lead to and are fulfilled in Jesus. For real. Not just as a saying. That's for real. And that's why we encounter the language right at the beginning of the story. Through you will bless the whole world. Right? And this is how we get out of ambition in our calling and ambition in the promises. Trying to make something happen. Trying to make something of ourselves in the story. Right? Because the dreams... And the promises of God, we hold them in tension by stepping into the place of sacrifice. And that's the story of Isaac, right? That's what Abraham did right. As weird as that story is, and it is weird and never to be repeated, right? So, Lord, we, I just ask that as we 
step into continually the season of your invitation and your calling, both to us as individuals and to us as a people. God, that you would help us to be able to be absolutely satisfied that the result is you. The result is you. That's what we want. We want you as the result of these things, Lord. We want to see your kingdom come. We want to see your glory in our lives, in the lives of our families, in the lives of our community. And so, Lord, we invite you to come and to make some noise, to get our attention. Lord, to reorient and reshape what we are attached to. Thank you, Jesus.